It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, November 1st, 2022. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. The Alaska State Troopers are searching for a 45-year-old man on Prince of Wales Island missing since last summer. Troopers issued an official missing person alert for Shane Van Orden last week. Van Orden was last seen near Thorn Bay in late June or early July and was thought to be hitchhiking to Craig. Van Orden was discovered missing when his girlfriend asked troopers to perform a welfare check on him in September. When a subsequent search turned up nothing, troopers issued the missing person alert. Van Orden isn't a resident of Prince of Wales Island. He at one point owned a van in Ketchikan, but troopers say he was known to wander. Foul play isn't suspected right now, but troopers are working across agencies for more information. Van Orden has black hair and brown eyes and no visible scars or tattoos. He is 5 foot 11 inches and weighs 180 pounds. Although wild salmon remains one of Alaska's most lucrative seafood industries, it's also one of the state's most vulnerable as climate change and population growth increase the pressure on the world's oceans. As it looks more and more likely that demand will eventually outstrip the productivity of salmon and other wild seafood stocks, Researchers have turned to another method for producing protein from fish, by culturing it in a lab. KCAW's Tosh Kimmel recently traveled to California to taste some of the world's first lab-produced salmon and sent this report. It's a typical overcast morning in San Francisco's Dogpatch neighborhood when I arrive at the headquarters of biotech company WildType. In a city known for tech, WildType isn't an anomaly. But in the world of sustainable seafood, they're making waves. Hey, how are you doing? Hi, I'm Dalton. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Inside the wild-type offices, a group of young scientists mills around in sneakers and graphic tees obscured by white lab coats. Dalton Thomas, the company's head of food service sales, seats me at a kitchen bar. Behind it, an in-house sushi chef prepares me a plate of their product before it hits the U.S. market. Lab-grown salmon. So that's it? Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's pretty wild. It's a square block of marbled pink flesh, almost indistinguishable from traditional salmon, except this fish has never touched the ocean. So we have the nigiri version of the wild-type salmon. Um, It's it's already brushed with soy sauce, so it's just ready to eat. Some mustard, miso, and chives. And then this is more like a typical salmon avocado roll. Wild-type's fish is intended to be enjoyed raw. A decision made in part because of the sheer size and profitability of the sushi industry, but also because, as Thomas explains, cell-cultured salmon is simply not as appetizing when cooked. It's not fishy. Yeah, it's like really smooth. Yeah. That's how the yeah, best kinda, way I can describe it. Kind of homogenous. It does taste like fish, which is weird. It's <laughs> not weird because it it's is. fish. It's literally <laughs> fish. Yeah. While lab-grown salmon may seem futuristic, the technology and the product are already here, on my plate. But is it really fish? The basic idea is we cultivate real salmon cells and we combine those with a plant-based scaffold or a sort of a three-dimensional matrix to help create, you know, like a really nice appearance and taste and texture. That's Justin Kolbeck, co-founder and CEO of the company. The super cool thing is we've actually been able to replicate, you know, fat and this sort of connective tissue that, you know, that that white stuff when you're biting into a piece of raw salmon that kind of gets stuck between your teeth. And then the fatty parts uh, without having to use any, any genetic engineering. To make this product, technicians harvest stem cells from a wild salmon. Then, in the same way a baker might feed a sourdough starter, they feed the cells with different proteins, amino acids, salts, and sugars. 
The scaffold, as Colbeck calls it, works like a 3D ladder, made of different plant cells. The fish cells mesh with the scaffold, which then directs the cells to grow into fat or tissue, giving the salmon its texture and shape. But Wild-type's creators say their mission goes beyond the novelty of growing meat in a lab. If you look at the the long-run trends, returning stocks of Pacific salmon in general along the Pacific coast have been declining pretty substantially over the last 40, 50 years. The FAO predicts we're going to need something like 30 million more tons of seafood to satisfy demand by the end of this decade. I found myself asking, and I know a lot of others have asked, is where's all that fish going to come from? Colbeck says the company's aim is only to supplement the existing seafood industry, not supplant it. The company has even gone so far as to invest in conservation efforts around one of the world's biggest sockeye salmon fisheries in Bristol Bay, Alaska. I, I don't think it is a solution as much as a diversion. Eric Jordan is a multi-generational commercial fisherman. For most of his life, he's made a living trolling for wild salmon in the waters of southeast Alaska. He says he doesn't believe lab-grown salmon poses a threat to his livelihood, but he does have other concerns. I catch these creatures that are the most wonderful food on earth. I can't imagine this lab-produced flesh is going to taste anything like wild Alaska salmon. So I'm not threatened by that. I am concerned about existential climate change threat and trawl bycatch. Alaska is one of the biggest producers of wild-caught salmon in the world. But in recent years, the state has struggled with the environmental stressors of a warming planet. Salmon runs virtually disappeared from western Alaska's largest river systems in the last couple of years, and now the famous Bering Sea crab harvest has crashed too. Even so, Jordan feels a seafood alternative might be taking resources away from the conservation efforts. There's a lot of places you can invest money to protect wild salmon without investing it in producing an alternative to eat. But momentum is growing for cell-cultured foods. David Kaplan, a professor of biomedical engineering at Tufts, says wild-type is far from alone. In the U.S., there is an incredible number and growing number of companies out there trying to grow just about any food you might want to eat or have eaten. There's a company now trying to emulate that. Kaplan runs the university's lab studies in tissue engineering. In his view, the work has become essential. There is there's absolutely no way we can meet the protein needs and the meat needs that are, is growing around the world. Um, consumers want meat, they like meat, and that's not going to go away. The Food and Drug Administration has yet to approve any cell-cultured meat for consumption in the U.S. However, approval is expected within the next year. And Wild Types Colbeck is banking on the future hoping to one day transition his cell-cultured salmon from a niche market to something more universal. We haven't scaled this up to the point where we can make this product super cheaply yet. And it would be amazing if we could make one of nature's healthiest foods so accessible that it would be as you know cheap and available as like a Big Mac. That is the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning. While we may not be seeing the golden arches carrying a lab-grown McFish anytime soon, there's no doubt that the landscape of the seafood industry is changing, and cell-cultured salmon will be making its way to the market sooner than later. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Tosh Kimmel. Sitka is not the only community in a housing crunch. Petersburg's Housing Task Force met for the first time last Wednesday. The members shared their initial ideas for how the borough can help with Petersburg's housing crisis. KFSK's Rachel Cassandra has more. 
Petersburg Borough Assemblymember David Kensinger facilitated the meeting. What we've been tasked to do is a pretty broad mandate, which is to address the housing situation in Petersburg. Kensinger asked members of the force to present three ideas on how the borough can help with the housing crisis. Annette Bennett is part of the group. She's the executive director for the nonprofit WAVE, or Working Against Violence for Everyone. The reason why this is so important to me is that I've seen many individuals come to our office seeking some kind of housing or a way to escape either a dangerous situation in their relationship or their being human trafficked. She first suggested opening up a camping area. Currently, right now, there's no legal place to exist if you don't have a house. She also suggested the borough buys the Ocean Beauty Bunkhouse, which is up for sale. It's located in the downtown area along the waterfront. Larry Hofstad also felt the bunkhouse could become housing quickly. He says because of medical and health reasons, he has spent a lot of time in poverty and with unstable housing. But my, my main thing is on, on the housing. And for people that just, you know, are having a tough time, don't have the money, the job, um, people that are trying to dig themselves out. Sarah Holmgrain is the owner and broker of Petersburg Properties. She had some ideas for lower and middle income homes that could be built in as little as six months. Some of my ideas of a short-term solution is manufactured homes. Uh, some people call them trailers, but they have really come a long way from the 1970s. Holmgren said maybe the borough could create a zone on North 8th Street to put those homes. Retired math teacher Darcy Ewart also thought tiny homes could fill a need. Tiny homes are homes with a footprint under 400 square feet. Ewart said they could be arranged in a way that fosters community. You have a central area and you build like seven to ten places around it. But like in Petersburg, you could have a covered area, which is your community's centered area. And she suggested that these tiny home communities could have architectural touches that tie to Petersburg culture. Maybe do some with a clinket flare. I also like the little Norway, some of both. So when people come here, they see it. Petersburg's task force will meet three more times, and then they plan to present their top ideas to the Petersburg Borough Assembly. That is scheduled for January. Reporting in Petersburg, I'm Rachel Cassandra. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.